would encourage the rest of you to take your Bibles out and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Not Leviticus, but Luke today. Now, here's what I'd like to start off with. Uh, turkey dinner, okay, Thanksgiving. When you have that, you put all these amazing you know, ingredients on your plate. You've got the turkey and the dressing and, the, and then the potatoes and the gravy and then the cr- cranberries. Now, there's some people out there, I'm not one, but there's some people that they will take and they will mix that up and, and get a little bit of everything on the fork and, and have it all in one bite. I call it the, the, the mashup, right? You just put it all together. Well, that's kind of like this sermon, okay? Rather than taking the ingredients one at a time, as we typically do today, I, I want to kind of push together a, a, a number of passages and watch how this happens. Because as we move through Leviticus, we come to chapter 12. And as I'm studying chapter 12 in Leviticus, I'm like, wow, this sounds amazingly familiar in Luke chapter 2. And sure enough, they come together perfectly, and God's timing is just that. I didn't even plan it, but Leviticus 12 is right where we're at, and it's Christmas. All right, we're going to start in Luke chapter 2. I just want to tell you the, the Christmas story. So let me read here, and I'll make a few comments as we go. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. That's about 90 miles to the south. Okay? Now, he was of the house and lineage of David, which is a special thing. He went to be registered, but he went along with Mary. He brought Mary with him. His betrothed, now here's a sentence here for the Bible. These, these, these things come together with, with scandalous implications. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. That's a problem, right? That's scandalous. How is that possible? Well, we know that it's of the Holy Spirit. But try telling that to the in-laws, right? Try telling that to the relatives. Try telling that to a city filled with relatives. It was a scandalous situation they found themselves in, and yet, being told in a dream, Joseph obeyed the Lord, and he trusted what God was doing, that indeed, the child in her womb was of the Holy Spirit, and so he went down to Bethlehem with her. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. One of the things we find as we study that it's one of the reasons there was no place for them in the inn is because of the scandal, right? She was carrying what they viewed as an illegitimate child. And so they would have been shunned greatly, and they ended up in a shepherd's cave. Down under the, the earth uh, where they would keep livestock, it was dirty, dark, smelly. There would have been soot on the, on the ceiling from thousands of shepherds' fires over the years. They're in this cave on the edge of the town of Bethlehem. And this is where God ordained that Jesus would be born. You can't get more lowly, more humble, more completely isolated out and uneventful a night as far as the world like they slept we, we sing silent night and it truly was in many ways the arrival of the king of kings was completely missed by most 
Mary gives birth to God. <laughs> wow! Can you imagine that moment? These things are hard for us to, to, to I mean, don't just, don't just be like, oh yeah, it's a Christmas story. No, that's incredible. She gave birth to Jesus, the Son of God, who upholds all things by the word of his power. The one who at his birth was the one at the same time who held hearts beating all around the earth. Amazing. Amazing. All of this purposeful, all of this planned out. He had to move him from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill all the prophecies that were written. And they arrived and there he came. It would have been a scary night. Try delivering a baby on your own, guys. That's, that's like my worst nightmare. I mean, I, I mean, I'm no help at all. Try doing that in a dirty, smelly shepherd's cave. In the dark, likely. No help. Hmm. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch of their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is uh, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. These are amazing words. Hmm. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts singing and, and praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Wow. Imagine being one of these shepherds. Now we also understand this is about the least expected invitation you could imagine of all of the people who could have been invited to come and adore him shepherds now in this day these the, these were the the nobodies the, these were the the swindlers the, the the cheats the frauds the crooks the the ones that had basically no other good option but to be sent out into the field with the sheep they were chosen to be invited to the birth of the king. They were given angel song in the sky and glory in the highest. It would have surprised them as much as anybody. What? Us? We get to go? Oh, they were elated. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the same that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, part of the reason they wondered is they wondered if they were telling the truth or making this up. Could it really be everybody at the birth of every child who was a male wondered, is this the Messiah? And here's some shepherds who are saying they found him. This was a life-changing event for them. And it was confirmed when they arrived in the shepherd's cave and found Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger, a feed trough of all things. Hmm. 
But Mary, I love this line, Mary treasured up all these things. She treasured them up. She pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What an amazing interaction this would have been. This is the ordained and perfectly brought to pass humble arrival of the King of Kings. Would anybody have written this story? Would would we have written the story this way? Jesus, the Savior we've waited for for all these years, He has arrived. Like that? Yeah, that's exactly right. That was planned of old. And it came to pass, fulfilling all of prophecy, all of Scripture, in just the way that God had appointed it. What an amazing thing. Now, what I'd like to do is draw attention to some of the other verses in Luke 2. As you continue to read down, you begin to say, well, there's some stuff happening here, and it has everything to do with what we're studying in Leviticus. It, it's, it, it helps you understand the larger part of the Christmas story. So, to set the stage, I want to go to Galatians 4 and read these verses. Talking about Jesus' birth, when the fullness of time had come, Paul says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. That was the, the virgin birth, right? Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus' birth took place at a time in history when the law of God, as, we're, as, as we've been studying it, was in full effect. All of these commandments were to be obeyed and, and upheld. And so Joseph and Mary were keenly dialed into this. Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. The practice of sacrifice, the obedience from the heart to all of these commandments. It was in their heart to obey. It's their desire to do these things. And as Jesus comes along, they understand that has implications for them. They have to pay attention now. Not just because he is, in fact, the Messiah, but especially so because of that. They want to make sure that they obey the Lord all the way. So, obeying the law of Moses. It's a big part of the Christmas story that we maybe wouldn't appreciate have we, had we not been moving through the book of Leviticus. That's why we do the whole Bible, right? It all comes together and it points us to the glory of Christ. Now, let's see how this unfolds. Number one, circumcision and name. These two things were uh, assumed and practiced early on in the birth of a male child. Uh, here's the basis for it. You can see in Luke 2.21, their practice here. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, they, they did that. That's just assumed. That's going to happen. Eight days, he is a, 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 a child um, of, of God's chosen, and so he was circumcised. He was called Jesus. Typically, at the circumcision ceremony, the husband would reveal the name for the child. But in this case, he was called Jesus, the name that was given by the angel, both to Mary and Joseph, in separate interactions before he was conceived in the womb. An amazing thing to consider. Now, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant is circumcision. It's a medical procedure, and uh, it was to be done on the eighth day. Not the seventh day, not the ninth day. The eighth day. 
This was the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. This is the covenant going all the way back to Genesis, right? Abraham, I choose you. I will make of you a great nation. And those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And I will um, cause your descendants to be as many as the, the sand on the shore and the stars in the sky. I will do this. This is an unconditional covenant that God made and set upon Abraham. But what he, what he did is he said, Abraham, as a sign of this covenant, I want you to be circumcised. And all the males that are born. So Genesis 17 we add to the, the Thanksgiving plate here. Let's put in, uh, I don't know, we'll call this the stuffing over here. Uh, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old. Here we go. Eight days. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male throughout your generations. Then we see just a few books later in Leviticus, this command repeated. In Leviticus 12, 3, on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Now, this circumcision of these baby boys came with blood. You have to see that. There's blood involved here, and that blood is significant. It is, you shall be holy as I am holy. You are to be set apart. And it is a, a, a painful reminder, right, of that important uh, choice of God to be uh, the covenant God and the, and the covenant people. So, then they bestow upon Jesus the name above all names. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. What a beautiful name. And so he carries that name as it was assigned by the angels, by the Lord himself. And uh, now you move on from there into Luke 2.22. And you read this verse, and without... Some, some, some kind of framework of Leviticus, you may miss this. Listen to what it says. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, what does that mean? The time for their purification according to the law of Moses. Guess what? That's Leviticus 12. He, he's, he's looking back. Luke narrates this and he's looking back to give us the thoughts and practice of Mary and Joseph, they're operating in Leviticus 12, and so it gives us some framework now to understand this. Let's go there, Leviticus 12, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As, the, as at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purification, of, of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. Well, now we know. So the fulfillment of this work carries for a number of days. The first seven days, there is a ceremonial uncleanness. Um, she's not to be touching anything. It's not life as normal, right? She is to be separated away and unclean. Now, on the eighth day, um, she is considered clean such that she can then come and participate with this circumcision ceremony, but then continue for 33 days in this kind of separated purification state. Now, there's some things to note in this. One, I would just say this. The joy of childbirth 
is always, even in our day, conflicting with the pain of childbirth. Joy and pain. So let's be clear. Mary was not unclean because she had committed a sin. Procreating is commanded by God. It is blessed and it is good in the covenant bond of marriage. One man, one woman, right? That's a beautiful thing. And giving birth to a child is not sinful either, right? Psalm 139 meets us. Fearfully and wonderfully made. How wonderful are your works, right? And so you have this little baby that comes out. You have the image of his or her parents on him or her. What a beautiful display of God's glory to be shown in our lives. His image as we carry, so then stamped on our offspring as well. But in that, we have this echo. It's inescapable, this echo of Genesis 3. I will greatly increase your pain at childbirth, God says to Eve, as a result of her rebellion and sin against God. You have this gift of new life and at the same time this reminder of original sin. This this awareness that this cute little baby is a sinner who needs a Savior. This child, beautiful as he is, has a dead soul. And the only way that he will ever live spiritually is through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit to cause him to be made alive upon the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hmm. What's also interesting is the presence of blood. For the Israelites, blood always was associated with death. Blood, death. And death was always associated with sin. These three function to be constant reminders of the fall, of the need for sacrifice and provision. And so here at the birth uh, of Jesus, you have something really unique. S- something so unique that we can say with confidence there has never been nor will there ever be another birth like the one that happened that night. The child that Mary bore had no sin. He was without sin. He didn't carry the original sin of Adam. Because truly his father, as it were, was the Holy Spirit. He didn't carry this internal sin. It wasn't in him to sin. It wasn't his nature to sin. He was unlike any other human ever born. Hmm. But still, he was born under the law. And so there were commands to obey. And Mary was a sinner. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. Mary was a sinner. She was not a saint. She was not chosen because of her righteousness that was somehow going to pass to Jesus. That's hogwash. The, the sacrifice of Jesus saved his mom, not the other way around. There's something else going on here in this command in Leviticus 12. And I was just struck as I studied, there is a very guarded and careful proximity kept away from any blood coming into the worship of God. Any specific human blood, that is. There's blood all over the place. All these these sacrifices, blood like crazy, but not human blood. No, not human blood. She's not to go near the, the tent. 
if there's any lingering blood from the pregnancy. This stands in stark contrast to, say, the prophets of Baal. You remember what they did to, quote-unquote, worship Baal? They danced, and they, they cut themselves with knives until they were bleeding everywhere, and they thought that it's some twisted and demented way that that would satisfy these pagan deities. So, God makes a clear distinction. No human blood, pain, or suffering is, is pleasing to me. Don't bring that into my presence and call it worship. I have nothing to do with that. The worship of Molech, for example. Child sacrifice. All of the, the carnality and the evil that took place there. God stands apart from that and He tells His people to do the same. Don't come near the tent of offering. If there's blood. Now we're going to see that in chapters 15 through uh, 13 through 15, uh, how important it is to observe that distinction in the worship of God. Hmm. Praise God that we don't have to self uh, harm in order to try to atone for our own sins. To be clear, the atoning work that is satisfactory to God. Is finished. That was Christ. He did that in full. Our joy in worship is not that we come to, to beat a chain on our back or crawl up steps on our knees or cut ourselves in, in, in inflicting pain for our sin and try to appeasing the Lord. No, He is appeased in full because of the finished work of Christ. It is finished. Puts an end to all of that inclination. Now, this is a fascinating verse. It's a real head-scratcher. You're reading through Leviticus. You get to verse 5 of chapter 12, and it reads, But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean for two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. Well, what's the deal with this? Look at the contrast here. If you have a male child, you're only unclean for seven days. A female child, twice that. And then 33 days after the circumcision ceremony, but for the female child, no circumcision ceremony, 66 days, a total of 80 days. Is this something questionable? Is, is God showing favoritism here? We know he's not. We know that's not it. It's connected in two ways, I believe. One, the male child, children the boys were to be circumcised. That takes place on the eighth day. That's a command. So the unclean, uh, uncleanliness of the mother finishes on the seventh day and then the circumcision ceremony. The 14 days and the 66 all the way up to 80 days of the female child, I believe, has in view the fact that the female child will likely bear children of her own. And that blood is in view. So there's a purification both in view for the mother of that child and the significance of bearing a female child who will likely have uh, children of her own. So, how do we make sense of this, this period of time? There's two ways to look at it. You can see it as some kind of punishment, that, that, that God would be punishing a, a mother who just gave birth to a child. That's clearly not the case. This is what I would say. This is God's old school um, 
maternity leave. That, that, that's what this is. He's basically telling moms, take a break. Enjoy this little baby. It's not life as normal. It's not all the work and all the everything. No, you get time. You get 40 days here to be with this child, to nurse, to mother, to care, to help, to heal. And 80 days for the female child. This would have been a blessing of God. And they would have very much looked forward to the day when they could return to worship. But while they waited, there wasn't a, a, a punishment on them. They had to be careful and they had to be aware, but there was a joyful obedience. God's maternity leave. So let's read this again. Luke 2. This is where Mary's been for 40 days now. And when the time for their purification, according to the law of Moses, came, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now, What's going on with this, this, this presentation to the Lord? Well, th this is the, the mashed potatoes on the plate. Okay, we're, we're drawn from another book here. This is coming out of Exodus. Yeah, this is part of the command that God gave to his people, this presentation. So I titled this, Presenting the Redemption Price. Mary and Joseph would have had to travel the just short, it's really a six-mile walk, maybe two hours uh, from Bethlehem up to Jerusalem, and uh, after 40 days was, was finished, they would have made this, this trip. This was Jesus' very first visit to the temple. They would have gone up the southern steps and into the temple court and then practiced these two things. First, the redemption price. This comes from um, Exodus 13. Let me read this. You shall set apart or call holy to the Lord all that, is, all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Whoa, the, hold on. You see what we're doing? God is laying claim to the firstborn of all of their livestock. That animal that first opens the womb, that animal is mine, God says. And if you don't redeem it, in the case of a donkey, then you have to kill it. That's how this goes. But look at the contrast. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem or buy back from me. You have to purchase them back from me, God says. And when in time uh, to come, uh, and when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? Now, I just love when God does this. This is a shepherding moment that he anticipates. Children, Asking, hey, Dad, Tug, Tug, wh what are we doing here? Why are we doing this? What's this all about? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt from the house of slavery. A strong hand. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but the firstborn of my sons I redeem. I buy them back from God. You remember the, the Passover moment, how this went down. This was the final plague in God's delivering of, Egypt, uh, of, of Israel out of the land of slavery in Egypt. 
And he said, listen to Israel, you must mark the doorposts of your house with the blood of the lamb, the atoning sacrifice. If you cover that over the doorposts of your house, then I will, when I send the destroyer, I will pass over your home. And every doorpost that does not have the marking of the blood, the ransomed purchase price of the blood covering that home, the firstborn will be killed. And God struck down the firstborn in all the land of Egypt. Now, remember, like I remember preaching that sermon and, and, and asking all the firstborns to stand and then looking around and just imagine eating that dinner. And you're eating and you hear, you hear the cries, the screams in the middle of the night of Egypt and all the death. And you hear the plops of all the animals that are falling in all the land. And then you lock eyes with your firstborn. And as you eat, you watch and you say, oh, Lord, please. By the blood of the lamb, please spare, please redeem, please pass over this house. You finish the meal and they're still alive. That is something you don't forget. And God wanted the generations to remember as they practice this. So the redemption price, this presenting Jesus before the Lord, called that to mind. Now think of all that's happening there as we understand the gospel. Jesus himself, the Redeemer, is being redeemed. Five shekels of silver they would pay. They present him to the Lord. Here he is. A perfect, blemishless sacrifice. He is here. He is on the sea. Hmm. That would have been a moment to treasure up, to ponder. What an amazing moment that was. Now, number three, presenting the purification sacrifice. Let's go back to Luke. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to, the, uh, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and, skip down, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Guess where that's from? Leviticus 12. Let's read it. When the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring... Uh, to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, a lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord to make atonement for her, the mother. And when she, uh, then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford the lamb, okay, now we're seeing the connection here, if she cannot afford the lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons. That's the quote in Luke 2. One for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. The ceremonial purification of Mary taking place at the temple in accordance with Leviticus 12 as we are moving through the book of Leviticus. This would have been, again, I don't, I don't think we're talking about sinful, uh, rebellious behavior in view. I think we're talking about, Lord, you have commanded. You have, uh, we, have, we have obeyed. We've, we've carefully walked this out. And we rejoice 
that now the ritual purification is complete, the sacrifices are there, and Mary was now moving forward then as normal, moving from the, from the, the birth. I can't help but wonder, as she watched this dove placed on the altar and consumed in fire, to ask that question, Mary, did you know? Did you know as you hold this little baby, 40 days old, this beautiful, sinless child, did you know that he was the one who would, as it were, burn for us? Did, did, did Mary know that the one she held was the one who would deliver her? What a great song. That moment had to stick in her mind. She had practiced the sacrifices. She had been to the temple a number of times before, I'm sure. So had Joseph. But here they are now, and the Messiah is in their arms. They have him with them. How amazing it is to consider it's not just Joseph and Mary in view. The priest who offers the sacrifices has only hope in this child. That the only way he would ever be saved is through the work of this child. Hmm. So our question this morning, how do we respond? I guess it's this afternoon now already. How do we respond to this? I, I just would say, just big picture. Isn't the Bible awesome? I love how connected the Word of God is. It shouldn't surprise us. The Holy Spirit wrote it. I mean, so it's, the, it's the work of God. He, he has penned it through all these different human authors over long stretches of time, and, and yet it, it, it connects together so perfectly. The flavors on the plate come together to tell one story. It's the story of Jesus. It's the same story we tell every Sunday. It's the story we celebrate as we gather and worship at Christmas. It's right to have the manger at the foot of the cross. This is a scene as we celebrate Christmas that we should always keep together. This manger should always have a, a large shadow cast over it because the birth is about the mission. God sent His Son to what? To die. He sent His Son, His beloved Son, to take our place, to die our death. So as we go through Christmas, don't just think baby Jesus. Think sovereign Savior and Lord. The One who lived and upheld the law. He fulfilled the law. He never broke the commandments. He obeyed them from the heart. He even had parents who would esteem and honor the Lord in the practice of, of things before he was even old enough to know. What a special thing that is. The manger and the cross. It comes to meet us as we consider the implications of this, the law and the gospel. I mean, think about this. If we don't have a manger, we don't have a cross, we're without hope. I mean, we, we could have 
this Old Testament. And we're dead. By works of the law, no human being will be justified before God. Why? Because the law reveals our sin. The law shows us how holy God is and how utterly unholy we are. We are sinful. So much of Leviticus is pointing us to this sacrifice, this substitute sacrifice that's needed. And Jesus is that sacrifice. So friends, praise God for the gospel. Praise God for Luke chapter 2 that brings us from Leviticus 12 to Luke 2 and says, I want you to see his face. This is Jesus, the Savior of all who will trust in him. He is the deliverer. He is the redeeming sacrifice, the substitute, the sinless atoning blood. He is the only hope. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes this, There is therefore now no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What does that mean? That means those who have placed their faith in Christ, who have trusted in Him alone as their Savior, their hope in this life and the next. Not continuing in sin to live and, and be my own sovereign, but turning from sin and walking to Him. Trust His finished work on my behalf. Relying upon Him alone. Living for His glory. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free, believer, from the law of sin and death. Thanks be to God. What a Christmas story we've got to tell. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we give praise to you for the love that you have shown us in the sending of your beloved Son who was born under the law that he might Fulfill the law in a way that we could never so that He might save us from being crushed and condemned by the law under the holiness and wrath that is yours. Right and righteously before our sin and, and rebellion and, and, and failures to uphold your righteous law. Oh, Jesus, we thank you and praise you for your goodness, for, for your obedience to your Father, for all of the ways that you succeeded in, in the face of all the ways that we have utterly failed. We give praise to you for your finished work. Lord, you were born to live in obedience and then to lay down your life and die. Jesus, thank you for taking your sin, uh, to, for taking my sin upon yourself and paying the price in full. Thank you for your death, burial, and powerful, victorious resurrection in my place, so that I, through faith, might be saved to live forever, to have intimacy with the Father, to know you, love you, worship and adore you. God, thank you for choosing to invite those who aren't perfect, those even in the margins, to come and worship. And Lord, here we are. We're, we're here. We love you and we thank you for your amazing love for us. We delight in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name I pray. Amen.